Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. Today, I have two guests with me, and this is actually literally, you guys are literally with me. We're here. We're with happening. All right, so why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves? Go first, buddy. I'll go first. My name is Joe Deegan. I am the worship resources coordinator for RYM. And uh, we are here at Middle School Texas camp right now. And next to me is... I'm John Trapp. I'm Joe's friend. (laughs) (laughs) And I I didn't look this up, John. I don't know if you know. John Trapp was on a podcast with me. I don't know. Several Clearly very memorable for you. (laughs) (laughs) It was awesome. I mean, it was life-changing. Those of you who remember, we talked about false narratives. And so John came on with me. Uh, John, what do you do? Why don't you... I am the campus minister for RUF at the University of Texas. And I've been doing that for three years now. Nice. Uh, So yeah, the three of us are at our middle school Texas conference in Hawkins, Texas. Uh, We're at the last full day of camp. Uh, We're all feeling pretty good. Are we tired? Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun. Joe and I have been having lots of pillow talk. (laughs) (laughs) We're roommates. It's been really fun. So like, Joe and I have been friends since, I mean. Since we were little kids. Yeah, we were little kids, but. Uh, it's been really fun catching up with him yeah. over the week. Do you want to clarify pillow talk for our listeners? <laughs> that just means that we uh, are sharing a bedroom, and at night we just chat until one of us chat. finally is like, all right, dude, we got to go to sleep. Cause this, yeah. is our, this is our chance to actually bank sleep when we're not with our kids and getting woke up yeah. in the middle of the night. So. We've not really been taking advantage of the sleep factor because – we haven't gotten much sleep. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah, it's awesome week, fun week, exhausting week at the same time. Um, but it's great. And I guess we should let people know we're in a room that's right by the cafeteria uh, of the conference center that we're staying at. So there might be some background noise. Right now we can hear some shuffling around. I don't know if that's going to be picked happening. up or not. Um, but It's a, it's a yeah, lively room. Yeah, you know? it is, yeah. And actually, John, last night, I don't know if you know, um, I was sent into the kitchen to tell the kitchen staff to be quiet while you were preaching. Did uh, you hear any of that while you I were preaching? No. Okay. I was just in the zone. Yeah, you, know. you were. Man. <laughs> um, but I guess also tell people as you're listening, whenever this goes out, depending on yeah, if maybe next week, which is June. What's the 15th ish next yeah. week, maybe? Yeah. Um, some of the, the six, actually. some of the middle school conference audio is going to be online, so you can check out John's preaching, Joe's teaching an elective, and I'm as well. So you can check all that stuff out at rym.org slash conferences. Should be there somewhere. Okay, so today uh, what we're going to talk about is insecurity. Um, some of you, some of our listeners know that RYM released its first uh, book, entitled Insecure, Fighting Our Lesser Fears with a Greater One. Uh, RYM partnered with Christian Focus Publications. You can check them out online uh, to produce this book. It was written specifically for teenagers, uh, but we know that everyone listening to this struggles with insecurities in in some way, shape, or form. Uh, So in light of RYM releasing this book, uh, we thought we'd have a discussion on insecurities. And it, it really works out well because... John and Joe, they go way back together. How old did you say you guys were when y'all first met? I think I was in the second grade and Joe's in the first grade. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, right. We grew up in the same neighborhood. Yeah. Oh. 
Um, so uh, we don't, you know, we don't have a lot of structure to this. We don't know exactly where we're going to go, but maybe let, let's start with when we throw out the word insecurity. Um, what, what are just kind of thinking back, uh, you know, I think we typically think middle school, high school, when we think of insecurities. Uh, what, what were some of y'all's insecurities or what comes to mind when you think about insecurities and growing up? One could say that talking about my insecurities right now on a podcast might lead to it. I was just looking at our body language. We're both sitting there with our arms crossed, which I think is probably a sign of insecurity. I'm not, I can't remember all my counseling books. but. Uh. Yeah. Did tears count? Like, yeah. since, I, since I just started crying, is that because I'm insecure? Um, I think for me, performance has always been something that I find myself being very insecure about um, and that had lots of applications as a kid whether it was in school or sports or friendships Um, but I think for me at the heart of a lot of my insecurities was just feeling like I guess feeling afraid that I wasn't going to perform well Mm. or to the standard that I felt like I needed to so do you feel like uh, that's a good that was a good answer and you're when I'm thinking about performance did you when you think about the ways in your life or the areas that you could perform well in were you insecure there um, or was it uh, more where you saw you know some weaknesses because if you feel like okay I've got this gift in this area say friends I can make friends very easily Mm -hmm. um you know, how are, how are insecurities, how do they come to the surface, even in the areas where you feel like you could perform well? Did that make sense? Totally. Because no, I were yes. able to get to a question. Yes. I'm insecure in asking that question. No, it's okay. Welcome to the party. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that um, a pattern in my own life is just when, if there was something that I wasn't good at or didn't know anything about. So we grew up in North Alabama where a bunch of people were like, went hunting all the time with their dads i never did that i didn't either and Me i felt either. really insecure it about is. that especially like getting into middle school my friends were like going like killing large beasts and i was just like i'm scared of bugs like I, you know I'm, I'm insecure about that and so i think really what that one of the things i would do is actually lean into things that i was more good at but even that so if if that was uh, like I, I loved playing basketball and baseball so if it was sports or um, grades, like really trying to excel in that almost as a way to cover up the other places where I didn't feel like I was enough or felt insecure about. But also, um, always I kind of always felt, you know, scared of like, not measuring up on the things that I actually was halfway decent in. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to add something. Yeah, that, I mean, mine would be similar. Um, yeah, I mean, we. I think that's why we were friends. We had similar were the guys who didn't uh, hunt (laughs) (laughs) guys who didn't hunt we just uh wanted to play sports and uh but even that leads to a lot of insecurities in that that performance because every time you are performing going back to what john was saying is an insecurity which is would be one of mine too every time you're performing there is always um the possibility of failure and anytime the possibility of failure is on the table it's hard not to be insecure about mm-hmm. what you're doing, yeah. especially when you're up in front of people. And I can remember, um, I mean, it's, 
sports was a big deal for us growing up. And man, I remember my first ever at bat at Little League Baseball. And I was not a good baseball player. And I think John and I were on the same team on uh, back when I was in like second grade or something. And uh, the pitcher was uh, the fastest pitcher in the league. And everybody was afraid of him. And I came up to bat. And I didn't have my drawstring. I had one of those loopy drawstrings on my little new baseball pants. And I didn't have it tied right. So it was just kind of like it was just big. And as I was like getting ready to bat, my bat got caught in my drawstring and I started yanking it, trying to get it out. And I accidentally stepped in front of the plate and got hit on my very first pitch. And uh, so I ended up going smoked to, by the fastest I ended up going to first base, which was great, but I did not feel good about myself in the moment. <laughs> but yeah, performance can always lead mm-hmm. to failure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely comes to the, the surface when I think of insecurities, a lot of athletic athletic events like I can just remember and I can remember this is really funny that, that this comes to mind I can remember playing basketball and my dad bought me some some shorts and I didn't like them because they were too short mm. and my dad's like wow oh, they're you know they're cheap they're, you're just gonna wear them yeah. whatever and I can remember the entire time I was on the court was just thinking I've got Daisy Dukes home while I'm playing basketball. Five wasn't yeah. wearing Daisy Dukes back then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just feeling like the whole time I couldn't even play the sport because I was so terrified of how I looked in front of everybody. Well, that's, an, uh, that's another insecurity that I would say was a big one for me growing up was that feeling that everybody's watching me. Mm-hmm. Every time I walk into a room, no matter what I'm doing, that every eye is on me. And that can lead to – a lot of pride and puffing yourself up if you do something well, and it can lead to a lot of shame if you do something, uh, if you fail. And, mm-hmm. and be, yeah, I struggle with that all the time, is thinking that, that anytime I'm in a room, everybody's watching me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think it's, I want to say David Elkind in his book, The Hurry Child, <coughs> talks about the invisible audience. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was original to him or if somebody else had come up with that term. What, why do you guys think we feel the need to perform all the time. Why do we, why do we think there's this invisible audience out there always watching us, always focused on us? That's a good question. When he says invisible audience, what is, does the term mean just that we live our lives with the, the baseline assumption is that somebody is keeping score? Probably. I mean, that's probably one way to put it. Um, but yeah, there's just, I mean, again, going back to this word performance, there's this, you know, group of people watching us, observing us, um, approving, you know, what it is we're doing well in, disapproving what we're not so good in. Um, I think that's the gist. Yeah. Man, I see that. Honestly, I felt that big time. I'm sorry, I'm kind of forgetting your question. Was your question, like, how do we... Where does that concept come from? Of just yeah, that we, again, just that you went. I'm zooming on the word performance that you brought up. I just thought that's such a good uh, concept to kind of. I mean, part of it, like, not to get like overly philosophical, but like, part of it's got to just even be like from some of the good things that have come from America, and this idea that um, we live in a meritocracy 
that you kind of get what you um, put in and that you can pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and work hard. And I, I remember being told as a kid, you can do whatever you put your mind to, which in some ways that's like, I think that's a pretty American idea. I'm sure other countries and cultures have that message, but I'm assuming it's a fairly Western post enlightenment idea. And there's some beautiful things to that, that um, there are a lot of possibilities that our freedoms give to us, but it also can be kind of a crushing thing to have told you. You can do anything you put your mind to. <laughs> so in other words, if you, if you don't do something amazing, you just haven't put your mind to it enough. You haven't worked hard enough. You haven't performed well enough. And, um, I think I still f am recovering from <laughs> the trauma of believing that, not just being told that, but really believing that um, if, if I'm not doing something amazing, it's really my fault. And um, I haven't, I haven't worked hard enough. I haven't been good enough. Um, and then essentially, I think the, the, the underlying problem with that is, I am believing that this is what defines me. Um, and, and because I haven't achieved X, Y, or Z, um, that I'm not, I'm not valuable. Um, so I, I don't know, I think a lot of, yeah, I think that the idea of just a meritocracy has its pros and its cons. Hmm. I think also, I was thinking about the idea of the invisible audience so, you know, I mean, you know, the phrase when somebody says your ears were burning the other day, because that means we were saying something good about you when you weren't around. And that's like that's a compliment. That's a great thing. And that can be a hard thing to stick in your head, because then you start to get this idea that everybody's always thinking about you or talking about you, even when you're not around. Mm -hmm. And I think that may be to me. That's what I think of when I think of that invisible audience is. There is a group of people out there that is thinking about me or talking about me. They're just not in front of me right now, so that's my invisible audience. And so I'm, it, leads, it leaves me constantly wondering what people are thinking about me, hmm. even when I'm not around. I remember, because I just went to RUF summer conference, some of the RUF campus minister, like I said, at <coughs> Texas. And so one of the things that we do that's really similar to RYM, we actually have it in the same place where RYM has their high school conference in Florida. Uh, we do uh, a really similar conference for our college students. And Russ Whitfield, who I think is actually speaking at RYM mm -hmm. yeah, Florida. Yeah, Florida too. Too, yeah. Uh, so sorry, Russ, if I'm stealing your thunder a little bit. But one of the things he said that just jumped, it just <laughs> jumped into my mind and just stuck in there. He said, um, he's like, our in our culture, a lot of times we say like, you shouldn't judge me. Don't judge me. Like I, I'm just going to be me and you need to accept me for who I am. He said, that's not actually true. We, we all want to be judged. Hmm. We just want to be judged as being good or right. So he, he was like, you know, if someone's, if, if I came up to Joe and was like, Hey man, you did a really good job in music last night the worship was great he wouldn't be like man don't judge me how dare you judge me like that like that would never be something he would say because what we we're all longing to have someone from the outside someone outside of ourselves 
tell us that we're good. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things I think our culture is telling us is that you that you need to find that you're good in and of yourself. Like that that judgment needs to come from within. And I just don't think that that works. I think that what we're actually longing for is for is this invisible audience, maybe you're saying, mm-hmm. um, to deem that we are good or righteous mm-hmm. or just or whatever. I think, too, you know, as we're thinking theologically about this uh, topic of insecurities, we know, I mean, we're in these broken bodies and uh, we have a soul that knows we're not whole individuals, you know, like our mind is broken, our physical body is broken it's not how it's supposed to be and so i think it's our souls you know bumping up against that that you know we can be insecure about not being the smartest person in the room and not knowing what everybody else knows you know part of that is our our soul knows like our minds are not how they're supposed to be they're they're fallen and they're they're broken and again our bodies are broken and all that um is with uh uh, people setting up the dining room. So sorry about that. If you could hear that too much in the background, but we were saying that you know we're in these broken bodies. Our souls have this uh, knowledge of the garden, how we were created, and glory. Mm-hmm. And so there's a sense in which we're going to be insecure about ourselves because we know we're we're broken. Um, is that clear, guys? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought we would transition. You know, bringing this again, the local youth worker, uh, youth workers are the majority of our our listeners talking about ministry and uh, specifically youth ministry. I mean, we all were involved in youth ministry at a time. And to think about the ways in which our insecurities uh, started to be revealed as we did um, youth ministry. I, I can just remember when I started getting around teenagers again, just thinking of, it was kind of like, yeah, it just started exposing all these yep. insecurities again. It's like I started PTSD yeah, <laughs> reliving teenager, yeah. Yeah, junior high and high school years. So what are some of those as I bring up, you know, you and youth ministry and uh, insecurities? What what are some of those that, that come to the top? Well, when I first started, I, I started working at Christ the King in Houston right out of college. And I started working with John. And John and I, again, have been best friends like our whole lives. Um but because we didn't hunt, we play sports, which <laughs> means that we're very competitive. And I even had to like confess. I mean, we confessed to each other just our own competitiveness uh, in the job and wanting so badly to like impress students. Mm-hmm. And uh, and e- even like what you were saying, kind of going back into that teenage world. You you know you want to there's there can be students in your own youth group that can be kind of intimidating sometimes. And so you find yourself working hard to impress them, even for good reasons, like, or supposedly good reasons to keep, because you want to keep them around. And, and so you think the only way I I can keep them around is if they're impressed with me. And, and the more we try to impress people, the more those insecurities can rise to the surface. And uh, that was really big for me when I started out and, um, and I'll, I'll say this too. I remember, uh, I'll brag on John for a second, kind of brag. I'm also going to kind of like, like cut you down at the same okay. time a little bit. <laughs> okay. It's a dynamic story coming up. Yeah. No, there was one time early on when I kind of had this mindset of like, I have to impress the students. They have to like me in order to like church was kind of what I thought. 
And I remember on a trip one time, John telling the students a story about a time when, when I don't remember exactly what the story, but it was a story that didn't make him look good. Hmm. Like it, he, he just talked about his own failures, about being scared of something. And it, it so much so that like these middle school students like laughed at him and kind of made fun of him. And John just laughed with him and said, yeah, I know. And I remember walking away from that thinking, okay, that's a different approach to ministry. That's an approach It's actually, I think, kind of incarnational that to say, like, I'm going to identify with your weakness so that you can know that that we all struggle with this. And you know, in the same way, like Jesus came down and in the flesh and identified with our weakness uh, so that, um, you know, we could be one in suffering uh, with him. And uh, anyway, when that I remember that night going to bed thinking, like, I, th- I think I've been doing this all wrong. <laughs> I've been having this mindset of I need to impress everybody when in reality those students went to bed that night thinking, okay, here's somebody who understands me, who knows the world that I live in, and they know the fears that I have every day, and I can actually talk to this person. And I think that was a huge um, stepping stone for me in ministry. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> I've heard that story before. Aww. Kind of wondering what the weird thing I said to the middle schoolers was. About, it was I mean, something there's about. A lot of, there's a lot of things. But. <laughs> it was something about that time you went to Europe and you wanted to get into a fight. Oh, but yeah. You, you I wanted up. to get in a fist fight with someone really badly. <laughs> All right, you gotta, you I've gotta never fought story. anyone in my life. Wait, hold up. Had Fight Club just come out? No. It had been, okay. I mean, maybe it, I was pretty sheltered, so maybe I had just seen it for the first time, but it had been out for a while. <laughs> No, but I was just like, man, I've never been in a fist fight. Like, I always wanted to do that. And uh, just, like, see how I do. And we went to this, all right, <laughs> we went to this uh, club in Prague in the Czech Republic, me and two other guys who are also now PCA ministers. <laughs> 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 so watch out, Prague. But uh, we went to this club, and, um, you know, we <laughs> The it was one of those clubs where like every floor is a different theme, and we went to like the oldies themed floor because we were totally lame. And uh, I walked in, and there was this guy who was like completely um, inebriated, and he uh, he was getting upset with his girlfriend, and they were kind of like arguing, and I was like making sure like is everything copacetic over here how's everything doing I was kind of like standing near him and watching and then he just turned and looked at me this guy's and this guy's probably like seven inches shorter than I am and he's very inebriated and he like turns and just speaks harsh Czech language to me I have no idea what it was and I just tossed my hands up and like shuffled off to the side it was my (laughs) chance like he was he was bowing up at me and ready to fight and my friends, the whole rest of the trip, they're like, "Trap! We thought you wanted to fight. Like, what was like? That was your chance. You were gonna be the hero." And future, yeah, that was pretty embarrassing. That was the exact response the I'm middle schoolers had to him as well. Yeah, I'm a peacemaker. Although I'm not sure I made. Pe- I, they they were fine. Like it was okay. The whole don't worry about the Czech Republic. People. They're good. But then you, you bring up a good point. I mean, just the the competition aspect in in youth ministry. I, I would assume. Everyone who's listening to this in youth ministry, you know what we're talking about. I mean, 
I know just in, in Jackson, uh, Mississippi, uh, we would try to get together consistently as youth workers um, from different churches. And I think it's so important to do something like that because there is this kind of competition that can can happen uh, when you hear your students went to their church or, or whatever. Yeah. And it's just important to, to come together and to kind of put a, a face to the church, you know, and to know, okay, um, we're all uh, striving uh, to, to minister in the kingdom alongside each other. Um, but that, that's different, definitely one is, is the competition as well as you're talking about being intimidated by students. Yeah, yeah. there there's sometimes we just desperately want a student to like us and so we're going to yeah allow them to to kind of control us in a sense i have a question so how does when you're feeling insecure and i have an answer to this too but i want to hear what y'all think when you're feeling really insecure you see yourself being insecure in ministry how do you see that affecting the way that you practically are doing ministry or even like how do you see that affecting the way that you're experiencing your ministry you already have an answer to this? I have an answer to it. I'm a little insecure if my answer is going to be as good as yours. No, yours is going to be great. <laughs> say say the man. question again. <laughs> How does your insecurity affect the experience of you doing ministry? Just on like an emotive level or even just... Um, yeah, I'd say it definitely uh, takes the joy out of it. Yeah. Um, for sure. I mean, there's, again, it's more we're driven instead of a you know, a zeal and a passion to be the hands and feet of Christ and whatever it is we're, we're doing, it's just this fear. And, uh, and and even like, you know, if we're talking about competition uh, and anger or a jealousy that's driving us. And, um, and isn't that yeah. ironic? Because like most, a lot of people go into ministry because they want to experience, especially with youth ministry, you want to experience the joy and fun and delight of sharing the gospel with students mm -hmm. and then you get into it because you partial for part of the reason that it's really fun it's supposed to be fun mm -hmm. and then you end up doing it and our insecurities can like just suck all of that out of yeah. out of it uh here's my answer i you know i think a lot of people go into youth ministry because they love the idea of building this community and so part of that involves getting people together and hanging out. Hey, let's play this group game. Let's not all go off on our own. And, and so, you know, we like that aspect of getting people together. But what comes with that, at least for me, is that, uh, I mean, I, I struggle with FOMO a lot, you know, that fear of missing out. And so when you have that moment, maybe when you're on a trip or something, when everybody's like hanging out, having fun together, and you want to be there, and then you got that one student who, needs to talk or is sick or needs your undivided attention in that moment like that can lead to a lot of insecurities when mm -hmm. when in reality like like that could be the most important thing you you could do that day in ministry is actually serve and self-sacrifice and love that student in the moment um, but the insecure part of me thinks like what am I missing out on over here with this big group that's having a lot of fun and uh, I, I found myself in those moments a lot, especially on trips. Yeah, yeah that, that's a good point. And, and kind of getting back to, to what you're saying about how um, we can be intimidated by some of our students. Yep. And, you know, I just think of the, the desire or the, the need I felt all the time 
and John, maybe this kind of goes to some of the um, false narrative discussion that we have, uh, you know, because ultimately a lot of this is saying, okay, the ministry is up to us. You know, mm-hmm. we have to do all of this stuff to keep everybody happy and to keep them involved in, in ministry. But to think of, you know, the, the, the need I felt to know all of the bands that every student likes so I could remain relevant and yeah. uh, to know like the, you know, whatever game they were into or to be on top of like the, my appearance, my, you know, mm-hmm. the clothing I was wearing so that I, I didn't look um, lame today. You know, and it's yep. like you start, it's the tail wagging the dog in a, in a sense because we're just trying to, yeah, to be cool and to be accepted yeah. by them. Um, so I would think that's a pretty common one uh, yeah. that, that youth workers struggle with. What, what do you think are some other insecurities that, that are fairly common that get exposed in youth ministry? I would say a uh, big piece for me. <laughs> okay, so we're going to leave that in. Uh, Joe just started laughing. He's tried to say this about three times, <laughs> and, and uh, people uh, continue to make noise in the background. So we're going through a lot for you guys, our listeners. So, love you guys. Yeah, Joe, go for it. Uh, I would say a big thing for me would be anytime you get a critique from someone uh, or like a negative review about maybe something you did wrong or something you could have done a better job of, whether that's from a parent or a pastor, another church member, those critiques can be things that stick with you for a long time. They can be super deflating and uh, can build up a lot of insecurities. I I know I, I... I struggled with that in ministry and I struggle with that now, especially as someone who's like my music and stuff is out there for people. And um, anytime you hear somebody say anything negative about something, that's, that's hard. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that just, I think to, to piggyback on that, it seems like a good time to check ourselves is when we feel like we're immediately moving to defensiveness. I mean, I do this in my marriage all the time. Um, when my wife tells me something that she's seeing and in my self-righteousness, I immediately want to tell her all the amazing reasons why I'm doing the thing that I'm doing that she's misinterpreting as uh, something I need to work on. And that defensiveness, I think, is completely born out of my insecurity rather than um, rather than believing in the justification I have in Christ, that I'm okay, that I'm righteous in God's sight, and that because I'm God's child, he's making me look more like his son, and I can listen and receive feedback and uh, hopefully be sanctified by it. And so, like, it is, because it, it is so hard to hear when you're working so hard to hear from a parent or the senior pastor or a volunteer or even a student that they're disappointed in something that you've put a lot of time and effort into. But what they're saying, not always, but sometimes, and maybe even oftentimes, if interpreted well, could be really helpful. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> that's true. In, in, Marriage too, right? <laughs> That's right. Um, to, to try to listen first and be slow to speak, um, and especially slow to speak in our defensiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think 
this kind of goes along with another insecurity I have too. But um, like I'm always afraid of saying something wrong. Hmm. Like I'm afraid of being a heretic. I'm afraid of oh, yeah. getting my theology backwards on something, or uh, or just being attacked for uh, for having done something incorrectly, even maybe if I didn't even understand it or know it. And I think that's why it's really important to have friends and people who uh, are walking alongside of you that um, that you can go to for advice on stuff. So, like, if you get feedback from someone that you did something wrong, um, that you can maybe go to another friend and say, hey, this is what's been told to me. Can you tell and to someone that you really trust? Like, mm-hmm. do you see this too? Do I need to work on this? Is this something that I need to be more aware of? And have people that you really love and trust. Or even like, man, I don't know what to do with this really hard pastoral situation that's just popped up with a student. And I think in our insecurities, we can feel like we have to do everything because this this is like, this is a test now to like, what do I do with this student who's struggling with this very particular thing? I'm supposed to be the expert. I have to figure it out. And so what our insecurity can actually do is can keep us from accessing the, the riches of the body of Christ, of going to our elders or our session or our deacons or a parent or a volunteer or someone who may have some expertise to be able to speak into a particular pastoral situation or into your own life and the criticisms that you're getting. And so I think like having a network of people in your life that that is such a it's so huge for being sustainable in ministry and just as like a human being um but that's been something that's been really helpful to me too uh, like just dealing with the loads of insecurity that i have Mm -hmm. I, i think another thing that leads to some insecurities especially in ministry is moving beyond even the critique factor of like, okay, somebody's not happy with something I did. Moving beyond that, somebody doesn't care about something I did. I worked really hard on this lesson or this event, and uh, and I get more of an apathetic response. Like that can be pretty crushing too. And and it it's just, it's kind of I'm not I'm not gonna say that I like I get it now, but after spending seven years in youth ministry, I think I have a little bit better grasp on this just from experience that that doesn't always mean that it's not landing. With what, whatever you're doing, if you get this kind of the glazed overlook or the <laughs> apathetic response from the student, that doesn't mean it's not getting through to them. I used, I used to struggle with that a lot very early on. And what I've learned is that um, the ministry is not something ministry is a lot of times something we want to happen like a flash in a pan we want it to to happen all of a sudden and we want to see results immediately but it's a slow cumulative effect of you know consistently teaching the word consistently having conversations consistently listening to their stories consistently being there for them and over time i think that cumulative effect of walking with someone through their teenage years through those formative years uh, can actually begin to point them to the gospel and uh, sometimes it, it's that that quick you know um, fast thing that uh, that's glorious to see but a lot of times that that glazed overlook or that apathetic response doesn't mean that 
we're not doing our job, but it can make us think that a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, whether it was an event or a lesson or a sermon and it's a small attendance, um, mm-hmm. you can just think, well, what's the point? You know, why am I doing yep. all this? Is, does anyone care? Is this effective at all? And I, I think, you know, there's a lot of insecurities wrapped up in the size of the group yep. that we're a part of, you know, that um, we can feel intimidated if we show up to, you know, a large conference and a church that shows up that's just, you know, you pull up in like a car and then a charter bus pulls up and this other group gets out and you're just, right. you know, thinking yeah. that that group's more valuable because there's just a lot. And so there, there's all kinds of insecurities just around the size yep. of the group and um, all of that. I, I thought we'd start wrapping this up a little bit, but to think about our students, uh, think about, you know, we, we know uh, we're all dealing with insecurities. We all struggle in various ways, uh, no matter how old we are. Um, and so we know this is true of our students. And so how can we, um, you know, help students uh, come alongside students and, and help them in the midst of their insecurities? Because I know uh, something that I, that I mentioned in the book is that insecurities can sound very superficial, um, but we need to see how, how serious our insecurities are because ultimately what they're doing is they're, uh, undermining the work of the gospel, that our identity, John, as you were mentioning earlier, is secured in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Um, and so the things that we're insecure of are actually m- making us lose sight of what Jesus Christ accomplished. And, and I think that's one way in which Satan works in a subtle way, because insecurities, again, just sound kind of minor, superficial. Uh, what way. do you mean by that? Like, what's like a minor or superficial well, like if we'd say we're insecure about our physical appearance, that just seems kind of like a uh, minor, yeah. superficial thing, you know. Uh, but when we ultimately think about, again, you start peeling that back. Yeah, and just that insecurities are are taking our eyes off the finished work of Christ and mm-hmm. our secure identity that He's accomplished for us. Um, so if that if that's true, uh, you know, how can we come along inside our students and, and help them in the midst of insecurities um, they're dealing with? And, and maybe I'll answer first by saying that might be a starting point is to, to one teach our students that they do have insecurities you know that they're probably trying to not acknowledge probably trying to um cover up in, in unhelpful ways but to also kind of at the same time let them know you're a safe person to talk to and uh, that you love them and uh you know are accepting of them and are not going to mock them you know in the midst of these insecurities um what do you guys think I would go back to the story I told earlier about John, that, that letting your students um, see your own weaknesses and failures to an extent. So all your European bar stories. <laughs> <laughs> but let, letting them see that, I think, helps them know that they don't always have to be this this awesome person. And, and going back to what I was saying earlier about how I, I felt like I always had to impress the students in order to get them to, to come or to like church, um, students uh, are intimidated by um, cool and impressive people. And so the last thing you want to do as a youth minister is intimidate your students. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes in our attempts to be cool and impressive, Mm -hmm. we can actually push them further away. And so our willingness to be somebody who is low and humble and maybe not always the center of attention like our willingness to do that can um i think sometimes help our students open up and um 
be more themselves. Dude, that's so yeah. that's so good because I I think that for a lot of people in youth ministry, um, we can try to use maybe our gifts or personalities that God's given us to just try to create just a fun environment and what we can end up doing is bulldozing like all the students mm-hmm. in our group and making them feel like they can't keep up maybe even with yeah. like the <laughs> the wit or the intensity or fun of what's going on and just think about like how like you do you reference just incarnational ministry like how Jesus came and was <laughs> so incredibly patient with the people he was discipling um, and how he met them in their insecurities and in their doubts even. And um, so I think, I mean, that one, one uh, article that I would recommend for even thinking about kind of what Joe's talking about is it was in Christianity, Christianity Today uh, a few years back. It's by Wes Simmons, who was the RUF campus minister at Auburn. And the, the title of the article is called Humble Evangelism. And I have all of my leadership team at Texas REF read that article every year. And one of the things that Wes talks about is the way that we actually share, um, can share Christ, given our cultural moment, a really beautiful way to do that is to not first sit down with someone and tell them all the reasons they need to follow Jesus, but we actually sit down and begin telling someone all the reasons we need to follow Jesus. All the reasons that um, Christ and the gospel is beautiful and precious to us because he's met us in our insecurity and in our sin and guilt and shame and brokenness and all of that. And when we, when we begin to tell people, um, and I mean, I'll be like, I've, I've been, it, that has like totally changed my perspective of how I share my faith with mm-hmm. someone. Um, and actually starting with my own need instead of theirs. And then welcoming them, welcoming, welcoming them into that, um, and I think doing that's something that we can do on an individual level. I mean, there's some some of the things that I really love about RYM's philosophy of ministry is we really value the individual, and it's one of the things we talk about at our youth leader training, the importance of meeting a student on the individual level, and that every student is in what we call the learning process. Uh, and so we can be patient with them in that. Every, every student's not necessarily where that we want them to be, ultimately. And then another thing that we talk about in our philosophy of ministry training at YLT is the reality that God is at work. And so um, when we maybe feel insecure because we have you know, a car full of people who show up instead of the bus, or we have the glazed over looks in the crowd during our Sunday school lesson, what we believe is is that the person who's fundamentally at work in these students' life is not us. It's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, God's at work, uh, and so th- that actually can relieve us of our insecurities and begin drawing students into um, into owning their own insecurities and walking with them through that. Yeah, that's really good, John. And as you're talking, uh, I mean, both of you, I thought of a. Uh, you know, Rankin Wilborn in his book, Union with Christ, mm-hmm. he gave a helpful example um, from American Idol. I never watched no, American no, I Idol. Watched okay. Great season this year, by the way. <laughs> I was, did see. American that. Idol is back. Yeah. <laughs> Alejandro Aranda, he got robbed, but he was amazing. You should get, you guys should watch him. 
I saw Sorry, some clip of um, <laughs> no, a, a guy who um, has autism, possibly. Yeah, is that's that right? America's Got Talent. Come on, John. Ah, oh, man. Sorry. Keep your singing okay. show straight. Yes, but that right. guy's amazing, too. That okay. was incredible. Well, see, that was yeah, incredible. that was awesome. But uh, Simon is on that now, right? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. That's it's, what confusing. Threw me. Yes, it's confusing. It's confusing. Yeah, it is. I'm okay. more of an American Ninja Warrior guy. That's for another podcast. So, yeah, American Idol. Uh, Rankin Wilborn, he just pointed out uh, the fact that, you know, when, when anyone comes on that show, most of them are, are a little nervous and they're intimidated and all of that. And But he said, you know, because they're obviously wanting, they're performing, trying to get on the show, trying to be the next American Idol. And y'all can correct me if I'm missing some elements of the show. But uh, once, I think he, he talked about, you know, the winner of uh, American Idol they get to have a final performance. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Yeah. And he says they're not performing to be accepted. They've mm. already been accepted. Yeah. And then they perform, and there's this freedom in their performance. Mm. There's this, a lot of the nervousness is going away. And he just applies that to the Christian life that really we cool. live knowing we're already accepted. Yeah. And so just thinking of trying to communicate that to students in the midst of, uh, you know, the, the Christian life, that we are already bought with the righteous works of jesus christ we're already accepted we don't have to perform to be accepted and obviously applying that to youth workers applying that to parents um and their parenting um but yeah that's been a helpful illustration for me anything else you guys want to add as we wrap this up do you feel insecure about your book on insecurity (laughs) i think anytime we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Are you really wanting me to answer this? Yeah, kind of. What's it like, like seeing your books get reviewed or your? Yeah. Like, um, anytime you write something that's out there and it's like it's it's final. You you cannot uh, modify it in any way. It's just out there for people to just look at and to critique, to to like, to dislike, whatever. Um, I mean, there's there's a certain amount of insecurity for sure. Um, it's. You know, you know it's going to be misunderstood by some people. Um, so, yes, I guess <laughs> I can I can say that. And yeah, I mean, there's um, been some pretty rough reviews out there of some some other uh, books. Like, um, where do the where do you get the reviews? Um, yeah, on uh, on Goodreads and uh, on Amazon. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's something. And I know, I want to say, I read this somewhere. Um, you know, there was a time where it was just professional critics could critique film yeah, or could just, critique yeah. literature. And now, yeah, if somebody initially just got bothered with Amazon offering, you know, anyone to, to be able to, to like or dislike something. And, you know, this kind of gets on a tangent, but, um, you know, th- it could be a microphone on Amazon uh-huh. and a company just pays a thousand people to go and review it real quick and right. that bumps it up really high. Yep. Um, so, you know, that kind of gets into some of the, um, yeah. craziness of the reviews. But that's but probably hard when you're, you, I mean, you poured your blood, sweat and tears in this book and then you're like, okay, here we go. Who's going to, what the, the, these like very tangible, measurable scores and reviews yeah. and yeah, yeah, absolutely. I that mean, it doesn't happen with sermons. Like I don't have, no one's holding up five stars or, Hopefully five stars or two stars <laughs> afterward. But there's, a, there's a lot of similarities to, yeah. to yeah, writing a book, preaching a sermon. Um, because, I mean, in a lot of ways, as you're about to preach a sermon, uh, sometimes when it's a new sermon, no one's ever heard it before, and you're yeah. getting up, and you don't know how's it going to be accepted. And so, um, you know, typically when you've 
published a book, at least the publisher liked it and the people who read it. Um, but then you kind of wonder, okay, now this gets out to a wider audience. Of course, there's going to be, be people who do not like it. Um, so, yeah, there can definitely be some insecurity. Cool. Yeah. I'm excited about that book. Thank you for writing it. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone should yeah. go check it out. <laughs> I'm going to say that because John is insecure about promoting <laughs> his own book, Insecurity. <laughs> but I think everyone should check it out. It's a great book. All right. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, he's wrapping it up. Then <laughs> we're talking about his own book. <laughs> I'm just gonna edit all this out. Anyway, so we don't have to you know, John was the one who left that negative review for you. Right? Yeah, sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, okay. I had suspicions. Um, seriously, this was fun, guys. Hopefully, it's been helpful. Um, it's been fun being with you guys at the conference too. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, hope it goes well tonight, John. Thanks you got for one more, one more sermon. Thanks, John. Um, yeah, have a good day, guys. All right, see y'all. Bye. Oh, come and feast without